Hey everybody, this is uh, Mike Morazzo and Brandon Silvera. Welcome to the Handcuffs and Sawdust podcast. Episode one, we are just starting out and we are so glad that you were able to join us from wherever you are listening. May it be in your car or your home or the library. So um, what I'm going to do is give you a little bit of intro about myself and then Brandon will introduce himself and then we'll speak about what we want this podcast to be. So my name is Mike Morazzo. I am the Midnight Maker on Instagram, MM Midnight Maker. I have been in law enforcement since 1999. So I'm in my 21st year, if I can do math properly. And uh, I work for a small department just outside of Chicago, in the suburbs on the west side of Chicago, sandwiched near O'Hare Airport. We have a pretty good call volume. We see a lot of stuff. We stay busy for our department size for sure. Uh, at my department, since it is small, uh, a lot of us have multiple jobs or assignments. So right now I'm assigned to patrol and uh, we have 33 sworn officers. So among some of those special assignments for myself, I've been a field training officer since 2003, an evidence technician, since 2004, which allowed me to serve for 10 years on what was called the West Suburban Major Crimes Task Force as a forensic investigator for homicides. And then I was put on another task force called MCAT, which was another homicide forensic unit. So I've been able to do that. Uh, public information officer for the police department, truck enforcement officer, um, at one time a recruiting officer. So and a fire investigator. So I've been able to do all that kind of stuff and uh, feel fortunate because of the size of my department that it allowed me to wear so many hats. And uh, the reason why I got into law enforcement in the first place was my father was a police officer. And uh, growing up in a world of television police shows like Starsky and Hutch and Beretta and Kojak and all those ones that nobody that's listening to this can remember, uh, I always wanted to do the job and seeing my father as a police officer really gave me some inspiration. And he actually worked for a department right next door to where I work now. So I'm constantly running into people that know my dad. And uh, we actually got to work together for the last 15 years. He was a dispatcher for our police department after he retired. Took a chief's job up in Wisconsin and did that and then came back here. So he's now fully retired. And... Uh, but he was, all, he was always my inspiration to become a police officer. So with that, I'm going to let Brandon introduce himself. Well, hey, everyone. Like Mike said, I'm Brandon from Full House Woodworking. Um, I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum to Mike. I've been a cop for uh, three years. <laughs> um, I have no special assignments yet. I'm barely being able to test for them. I'm still amazed that they let me push a car by myself. Um, I work in a major department in out in California, out in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, and I'll leave it at that. We are actually one of the most undersized departments in the country for the population that we serve. And um, so the whole reason I wanted to get into law enforcement was during high school. I had a lot of friends get mixed up in gangs, drugs, and I went to way too many funerals before the age of 20. Um, California's economy crashed, surprise. And I left for the military, came back, and still wanted to try to make the world a little bit of a better place. So went and got hired in a major police department, which is nice because I don't have to wear as many hats as Mike does, but I can more or less do as much or as little as, as needs to be done. So no family history in law enforcement just wanted to make the world a little bit of a better place the you know rose-colored glasses theory excellent i think that's why most of the people that i know that are in this field do that job right um, they want to make the world a better place in the communities that we live in they want to make it safer and better for everyone around us yeah that's I mean, it's usually one of two reasons you either have a long lineage of family members that were cops or you just wanted to do a little bit of good all right, exactly right. My sister is actually a 911 dispatcher. So at one point we had three Marazos working at our police department, which drove everybody nuts. All right, so uh, now that we got the, our introductions out of the way, I'm going to just mention why I got into woodworking. 
and how that started. Uh, I've always liked building stuff. And uh, I bought my first home in 1992 uh, when we got married. And it was a small little two-bedroom ranch. And I didn't really know much about home remodeling or the like. And I have a brother who is a fantastic carpenter. And he actually built Frank Thomas's home of the White Sox back in the day. So I had some stuff I wanted to do to the other house, you know, finish the basement, add a bathroom, do tile work, flooring, all that kind of stuff. My grandpa and my brother helped me do all that. So three houses later, I'm in this house, and I get put on the midnight shift. So I have to be up all night when everybody else is sleeping. And I needed to find an outlet for work and stress-related things and just something to do so I don't go crazy. So I helped a buddy out one night. He was painting his garage, and he went to bed. And I said, hey, I'll finish it. You know, I got nothing to do. So uh, I finished painting his garage for him inside, and I posted on Facebook, Midnight Painter. Want yeah, Anybody want a Midnight Painter? And then uh, I've done so much handyman work. A friend of mine said, hey, you should be the Midnight Handyman. So I started that, and that's how I got into uh, Instagram. And I started following a bunch of good woodworkers. And uh, now I am knee-deep in orders that I can't keep up with. Why did you start uh, your woodworking journey, Brandon? So we're actually in the garage of the first house uh, that my wife and I have been able to buy. So up until this is, we're coming up on our 10-year wedding anniversary. This is up until now we've been renters. So it, it all started with a very simple request. I want an end table. So I said, sure. I went to the internet like any good woodworker does. And I found this very simple design and put it together. It's made up of uh, just pine, I think one by sixes and pressure treated two by fours because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, it's stained and there's no glue. It's all exposed fasteners and it might be the most square thing I have ever built in my life. I, all I had was a uh, about two foot tall work table that my new laser is sitting on. I had a speed square, a circular saw, and a drill driver, and just a whole lot of yeah, sure, whatever, I'll do it. Um, whole family helped out with it. There's I think there's pictures on my Instagram from that first build, uh, and that's that's where Full House came from. Was the, we had the whole house. Uh, involved in it and it's still sitting in the living room tucked away in the corner still works just fine still square as can be uh, but there's no clue there's just number two phillips screws all throughout it um, but i had a little bit of i guess know-how from i grew up on a sweet potato farm so i'm used to working on tractors and farm equipment and stuff like that but nothing as like fine detailed as as woodworking so i built that and then she wanted a hexagon shelf, so I bought her or built her a hexagon shelf. And then we wanted an entry table, so I built an entry table. And then somebody asked me to build them a bar. For some reason, I still don't understand. Like at that point, like what the heck were you doing asking me to build you a bar? Like I, I've got like maybe three builds under my belt. And then someone else asked me to build them a flag. Uh, then after that flag, things really started to kind of take off. And then my wife came up with the idea of you should get on Instagram and do that. Like, create just a page for your woodworking. So I did, and turns out there's a whole community dedicated to just people in their garages getting after it, trying to make a little extra money or just trying to, you know, decompress. That, that's what this has turned into for me is um, I one of the other things I like to do is barbecue, and I thought that was going to be my, my way of coping with some of the stuff that we see on a day-to-day -day basis. And it turns out that the, the woodworking has done wonders because it's I, I can come out here and I can completely lose myself in a project. And next thing I know, I look up and it's like three o'clock in the morning and it's time for me to finally turn in because I'm on a midnight shift, too. So it, it gave me something to do rather than just, you know, sit on the couch, drink beer, eat chips and, and play video games all night, which I still do. Like, that's awesome. And I'm never going to stop doing it. But I need to do things outside of that. Yeah, I have many friends that uh, on my shift that play video games up at night they remind me of thor from when he gets fat and he's playing video games and threatening all the other kids because they're they're mean video game players i i, I don't play video games i'm still rocking a ps2 oh wow <laughs> that's that's the thor i most identify with that's me oh that's awesome yeah i just got a post uh the other day from a gentleman i made two flags for a friend of mine at frontline cigars uh he has a help the heroes foundation and they were doing a 
cigar fundraiser, and I, he asked me to make two flags. I had never made a flag in my life. So I made two, a blue line flag and an American flag. And the gentleman just hung up the American flag and sent me a picture the other day. It's the very first flag I made. So um, from there, I'm on flag number 87 now. And I've seen a lot of videos on YouTube. If you want to get into woodworking, uh, flag making is a great way to get into woodworking. And it allowed me to buy all kinds of tools. You know, um, my CNC machine was paid for by flags. Every big purchase I've had has been flags. So uh, it's a great way to start. Yeah, that's uh, I bought my Delta uh, table saw with uh, flag money. I I just bought my first laser engraver with flag money. I mean, it's the thing I've built the most, but... It's afforded me the ability to expand my tool collection. Yeah, and you know, I've wanted to do so many other builds. And I've got the chance, you know, I just finished this cork board for a police department, which is a nice thing to do. And uh, I often tell the guys at work that I actually go to work to relax because I'm so busy at home in the shop. <laughs> yeah, during Christmas time, that seems to be when, when things got the hairiest for me is I would go to work to relax. Right, I can imagine. You get busy doing orders, it's hard. All right, here we go. So um, Brandon and I really wanted to start this podcast for a number of reasons, and we hope to accomplish a few things with this podcast on a weekly basis. So that's our goal. We want to put out a podcast once a week, and we will roughly cover 45 to 60 minutes uh, each episode, and the conversations will be on the happenings across the country in law enforcement, uh, shootings, trials, protests, stuff like that. And then we will also be adding guests from around the nation who are also woodworkers and police officers in our own community. So, and by community, I mean the woodworking law enforcement community. Like Brandon said, I had no idea what Instagram was. And one of my friends at work asked me, hey, Mike, do you follow this person on Instagram? I'm like, no, what's Instagram? I thought people just posted pictures of themselves in bikinis on Instagram. He said, no, there's a huge woodworking community on, on Instagram. So uh, my buddy Jimmy got me involved in the Instagram woodworking community, and uh, I love it. So we're going to be talking to police officers who are in the woodworking community and while we're talking, we'll be talking about all the things I mentioned and stuff, what happens at our own departments that we can discuss, which has been already litigated, just interesting stories to us and how we do our job. And then uh, we're going to be talking about what our woodworking projects are, what's on our bench, what's on your bench, uh, any difficulties that we're facing, any new ideas. If we need help with something, that's one great thing about this community is if you need help with something, there's always a woodworker willing to help. Um, it's been a fantastic way to resource knowledge. And then what we'd like to do is end each podcast with a feel-good story because we are talking about law enforcement and it is a toxic environment right now. But we want to end on a good note. And I'd like to do a woodworker profile of the week from Instagram. So that's what uh, my thoughts are for this podcast. And Brandon's going to tell you what his are. Yeah, I think we're pretty much in this in agreement as to what we want out of this. Um, one of the other things I wanted to get out of this was to humanize cops. Most of the people that see Mike and I in a professional sense, they don't see us like this. I, I mean, I may still have a hat on, but it's it's got a totally different patch up top, and I definitely don't show up in a t-shirt and shorts with a smile on my face. I try to show up with a smile every now and then, but there's a lot of times... People are encountering us on the worst day of their lives. But what a lot of people don't understand, and the events of this summer with the George Floyd protests slash riots uh, really drew that out of people don't see us as people, as humans. So I wanted to humanize us for the general public. Like I, I know this is mainly geared towards law enforcement, but maybe maybe some copper shares it with a friend who maybe has a negative you know, view of cops as a whole, and this kind of drives it in of like, oh, you're just a dude. You're just a guy trying to pay a mortgage, raise your kids, and come home from work each night, or in our case, each morning. And one thing that some departments are getting better with their social media and highlighting this stuff, but good cops are not highlighted nearly enough. If the general public, and I'm talking country as a whole, saw the good things that officers do day in and day out, this this total narrative would change that, you know, like all cops are bastards. That wouldn't be a thing. For example, in my department, there was a tragic case where a, a little girl lost her life. 
accident total, just freak accident where a car backing off a trailer hit her, killed her. Family was was in town from like Texas. The officers on shift that day came out of their own pocket without any prompting, and we paid for the family to stay in a hotel until arrangements could be made for that little girl's funeral. I think all told, we raised about $2,000, just lowly beat cops, to put that family up and take care of them so that they could grieve and they could heal. You didn't see it in the news. You didn't see it in a newspaper. All that was was the 1,100 coppers that worked for my department. We were the only ones that knew. And that family. And that's, in all, in all honesty, those are the only ones we care about knowing. But I think the public as a whole needs to see that so they realize that when you see these these bad shootings or these bad acts, that it's that's one versus the whole. Like, that's that's the cancerous part, but you still have a healthy body that is that needs to be focused on. Exactly right. Every profession has people that don't belong, and we are no different Unfortunately for us, we're not seeing stories about doctors who are being sued for malpractice and killed somebody on the table because they removed the wrong organ or something like that. The, the nation right now wants to concentrate on law enforcement and have this ridiculous defund the police movement when what you just mentioned happens every day around the country on every department. That's why I like being a field training officer, getting a new guy and trying to teach him compassion right? For the people that we serve. You know, I had, I went on a call and uh, years ago and some guy was out in front of one of our gas stations and he was soliciting money because he was homeless. And he was asking everybody that comes up to him for money. And I know you guys go on these calls all the time. So I went with one of the newer guys and I approached this gentleman and asked him how I could help him. And he said, I don't need any help. I said, okay, you know, where do you live? And he says, I don't have a home. I said, okay, well, I got a call here that you were asking people for money. And he's looking at me, and behind me is the gas station. And he's not looking into my eyes. He's looking over my shoulder, and he's waving to people to try and get their attention to get money. And I said, that right there, that's why I need to help you. You're looking for money. What do you need it for? And he said, I haven't eaten. And we were standing right next to a beef joint, Italian beef place. And I said, oh, okay, well, here's 10 bucks. I want to see you walk in that beef joint and get yourself some lunch and possibly some dinner. And he said, oh, my God, you know, thank you so much. And uh, he walked into the beef place to get something to eat. And the young guy looks at me and goes, what the hell did you do that for? You just gave him $10. I said, yeah, what, you don't like to feed humans? Give him 10 bucks, he can go eat, and we'll never get another call with this guy right now. And we didn't. Our job is to serve people that way as well. All right, so uh, what we're going to do this week to start off our news update episode, um, I printed out a few things that we wanted to touch base on. And the first one I have here is uh, of a Kenosha officer. If you guys remember uh, last month or six weeks ago, there was a shooting up in Kenosha. might have been even two months ago um, where the, the gentleman that they were trying to arrest was going into his car to retrieve a knife and... Um, he was shot and paralyzed. His name is Jacob Blake. Now, everybody in this area knows of Jacob Jacob Blake. But uh, just on the 14th, uh, the Kenosha police chief announced that the officer who shot Jacob Blake uh, will not be disciplined, and he's been returned to full duty, and it was a justified shooting. Now, I haven't seen any major news on this event. Just came across it online. I have a statement here. It says, although this incident has been reviewed at multiple levels, I understand that some will not be pleased with the outcome. However, given the facts, it was the only lawful and appropriate decision to be made, Kenosha Police Chief Daniel Miskins said in a statement. So, Officer Shesky was not charged with any wrongdoing, Chief Miskins said. He acted within the law and was consistent with training. Officer Shesky was found to have been acting within policy and will not be subject to discipline. I haven't really seen, now that was on the uh, 14th, so I haven't really seen any negative uh, news in regards to that coming forth. Um, I don't know if you have, Brandon. No, this is, honestly, when you sent me the uh, the rundown, this is the first I've heard of it. Um, good for him. I'm glad. That's, I mean, that, that shooting made news, and that was one of the more frustrating ones because you and I look at it through the, through the eyes of, the cop there of going, I don't know what's in that car. I don't know that there's children in that car. I don't know if there's a weapon in that car. All I know is that this guy has some sort of felony warrant. He's continually causing domestic issues. 
So that's something that I think the whole world can get on board with, that maybe domestic violence is kind of a bad thing. Like in California, it doesn't matter if it's a push or a shove and there's no injury. I'm arresting you. Like, I don't have a choice. So, I, But I think one thing that we've kind of had to come to grips with as cops is we have to start looking at these through the eyes of the person who sees that, that real small clip that just sees a guy going into his car and getting shot. So yeah, that, that clip in and of itself is bad, but when you throw in what happened before, when you throw in the information that the officers were getting about him, the type of call they were responding to, it was some type of uh, disturbance where it's a girlfriend and her boyfriend or ex-boyfriend who is constantly hitting her. That's that's already, when you land, you're already going into protect mode. I got to get people away from each other. I need to start sorting this out. Oh, this guy has a warrant. Cool. It's a felony warrant. So it's for a violent crime because let's face it, nationally, nothing's a felony anymore unless it's murder, robbery, or some sort of domestic violence. Like you got to do some bad stuff to be charged with a felony. I mean, hell, in California, carrying a concealed firearm is still just a misdemeanor. That's how bad you have to mess up to be charged with a felony. So, I I mean, I feel bad for the guy because he's always going to be that guy. I mean, it's tragic that, you know, Mr. Blake got shot. And, I mean, thankfully he lived. But it's one of those things of just it's a bad situation that there there is no right answer. Because if the cop guesses wrong, he's dead. I mean, that's really all you can do is guess. You make an educated guess with the info you have at the time. Right. Civilians don't really know what the term totality of the circumstances is. These are all factors that we have to take into account as we show up on the scene. We already have the call of why this person's there. Then a name check reveals they have a felony warrant. Now in Cook County, to get a felony warrant, you pretty much have to, I can't even say fly a plane into a building, but um, Cook County getting felonies uh, approval is very hard. But elsewhere across the United States. That's it. We're, we're already flagged. Episode one, we're already flagged. <laughs> Yeah, flag, <laughs> penalty. But seriously, in all seriousness, not to make light of that situation, Cook County sucks. And one thing that's always bothered me within law enforcement, we all have a job to do, but in every state, the laws are different, and it drives me absolutely crazy. Yeah, I can't stand that. Like in, And even, like for instance, within California, each county is different. So like in the county I work in, you have to be caught with, say, you know, meth. You have to be caught three times before they'll file anything. And even then, you're going to get probation. But in, if you go up to Washington, I think uh, possession of methamphetamine is still a felony. So it, there needs to be – I understand each state, each county needs to kind of decide what they want enforced. But we have to have some sort of almost standardization so that we can start judging people. I mean, if we're going to judge every use of force incident, we need to be judging it by the same standard across the board. Otherwise – Someone in Wisconsin is going to see a use of force in California and be like, dude, that was fine. And then a cop in California is going to see a use of force out in New York and be like, ooh, I don't know. That's a sketchy one. Yeah, uh, so true. And I know TV is television, so I have to constantly remind people when they show up on crime scenes and they want me to lift a fingerprint from a rock. It's not television. So television is different. It always drives me crazy watching like Law and & Order and assault and battery is one thing and uh it, it's different than it is here in, in the chicagoland area but it needs to be uniformed more in my opinion yeah I, I i mean from watching cop shows coming up i thought there would be one a lot more semen than there is and two i thought you could get some sort of like toxicology report or or drug test i thought you get that back in like an hour <laughs> yeah right Andy Sipwitz cleared a murder case once an hour. Andy Sipwitz of NYPD Blue, for those of you that are too young to know that reference. Yeah. No, I get that one. They have it on the streaming services, but it's not in HD, so I don't get it. Nice. Yeah, it's called Ion Television. Oh, you're killing me with the youth. All right. Uh, the second thing I wanted to talk about this week was uh, the Chicago Office of Police Accountability, otherwise known as COPA. Uh, they finally released the footage of a shooting that occurred last week with a 13-year-old boy. Now, if you listen to the media, this 13-year-old boy, who was out at 4 in the morning with a gun, shooting down an alley and spotted on video, is so innocent. Yet, the video came out 
uh, yesterday or the day before. I'm now confused since I'm back on my night schedule of the foot chase that uh, resulted from the police officers being sent to that area because of a spot tracker software. And then the kid takes off on police and he's got the firearm in his hand. And then he stops near an open fence and the police officer orders him to put his hands up. And then as he's turning around, he drops the gun behind the fence and then the officer shoots him. So right now we're having all these discussions about, oh my God, that police officer's just murdered this 13-year-old boy. Yet what would happen if that officer held his ground and this kid turns around with a firearm and shoots first? Are we supposed to take a bullet before we can fire? So that's what's going on right here, right now. Have you seen the video? Yeah, I actually watched it um, yesterday. And there was something that popped into my head um, that I learned through my police academy. Uh, There's this group that does force science. So it studies the body and how the body reacts to different stimuli and how quickly you can do it. So it takes three quarters of a second for a person to perceive a threat. It takes another three quarters of a second for a person to then react to that threat. So you're already a second and a half behind the eight ball. And that's where this came into play. I'm, I watched the video. I slowed it down. I slowed it down. And when I slowed it down, he goes, oh, yeah, that that doesn't look good. But you play that thing real time and you try to throw in the adrenaline of having to chase after this guy who's supposed to have a gun. Remember, we're acting in good faith that whoever called 911 was being truthful and accurate in the information they give us, which, Mike, you can attest to, is almost never the case. Um, But it's almost one of those things of, you know, if we have to wait until we're shot at – You're going to have dead cops, I mean, left and right. We're going to be littering the street. I think already in 2021, we're at something like, um, I'll say like 30-something, or excuse me, 97, exactly. I have it pulled up now on the Officer Dale Memorial page. 97 officers killed in the line of duty, and we're in mid-April. That number would double, and you start taking away the ability to react to a threat before you take a round, the only cops you're going to have left are cops that need the job, not cops that want the job. And there's a big difference in the kind of person and the kind of work they're going to do when somebody wants the job versus somebody that needs that job. If you need that job, you're going to do what you got to do to get by. It doesn't matter if you cut a corner here or there. A person who wants to do the job is going to go that extra mile, is going to go and actually chase that guy that was just in your backyard that was trying to break into your house. The guy who needs that job is like, well, I need this job. I don't need to get into a use of force and then lose mine. So he's gone. So you're good, right? Yeah, that's what law enforcement unfortunately is turning into at the moment you know um, with this new law enforcement reform bill that's coming to Illinois uh, with a lot of changes uh, one of the things that they point out is if you have a subject causing a disturbance in a store let's say and the store owner tells him he's got to go and then the guy says you know uh, fuck you I'm not leaving no we can swear because this is a podcast so in this real life um, so we get called we show up we tell him he's got to go he says, fuck you, I'm not leaving. Now, in Illinois, when this law becomes into effect, we're supposed to go, okay, and then I'll be right back with your ticket, and then the guy's still on your property. Same as if, if he's in your yard or trying to break into your home. Um, one of my police officer friends said to me when this bill was passed, I won't be calling the police anymore. I'll be calling EMS for an unresponsive subject. Yeah, and it's, we've seen a lot of people in uh, California kind of we've explained it to him like hey this is this is how the law is in this state right now we'll ask him to leave but if he tells us to go pound salt we're uh, our hands are tied unless you want him arrested and you're willing to go to court like i have the discretion on a misdemeanor that that you're committing in my presence now of trespassing like yeah i can take you to jail yeah they're just going to kick you loose quicker than i can get out of the jail but i solve the problem so but the thing is, people, they, they'll call a cop and they expect the cop to solve the problem, but they don't want it to be any part of the solution. They just want us to wave our magic wand and make their problem go away. And that, it just doesn't work like that. It has to be a collaborative effort, especially now with laws being as loose as they are as far as what's going to actually be enforced, what's going to be you know, sentenced to actual jail time versus what's going to be probation or you know, some sort of community service. So it's it's frustrating when you want to help people and they're like, no, I'm not going to help you help me. Like just 
I, I, I've had somebody yell at me after uh, they were allegedly shot at, which a uh, surveillance camera proved to be false. They just yell at me, just do your job. I'm like, okay, cool. Who am I looking for? Just do your job. Cool. I, I guess I'll leave now. It's, it's happening everywhere. I didn't call y'all. I don't need your help. Bleeding from the face. And, uh, you know, after 21 years, I'm like, well, have All a good right. night. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, if you don't want to help me help you, then you're on your own. Exactly right. Oh, so um, back to your force science. Uh, I wish more people knew what that was and, and read those articles. You know, one of the first things we learn as police officers in the police academy is action is faster than reaction, right? So I stumbled across a video that someone sent to me, one of my buddies who's a Cook County officer, with Geraldo Rivera oh, God. on Fox News. And his suggestion to a f- former police officer was, we need to take the guns off the strong side of the police officer and swap them out with the tasers. So the tasers now you're strong on your strong side and your weapon is on the opposite side. And I thought, what the fuck are you talking about? And then he got reamed by the guy who was talking to him and said, you're an asshole and an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Just be a reporter. I don't know how to be a reporter. I know how to be a cop. Stop talking about police work. Yeah, I, I thought Geraldo stopped being relevant after he gave away an entire you know unit's position in the second Iraq war. Like I thought we were kind of done with him then, but apparently he just keeps popping up for no apparent reason. Um, so that yeah. is quite possibly the most idiotic thing I've ever heard. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And, and, and here's why. To, to have your, your pistol on your non-dominant side, for me, my left, a couple things are going to have to either happen. Either it's a cross-draw thing, which is a major muscle movement to reach across in a very stressful situation. I'm going to need a lot of fine motor skill to do it, which is the first thing to go when we're under stress and we have an adrenaline dump. Or I'm going to have to be able to draw with my left and then shoot accurately. Well, it's been proven scientifically that shooting even with your dominant hand under high stress is really, really hard. That's why you'll see something where, like, officers fired 37 shots, suspect was hit once. It's not easy to do anything under stress. But when you talk about the level of focus that it takes to fire no. a firearm, no. like, that's – that's it, it's something that you can't ask – you can't reasonably ask a human being to do. I mean, and, and as far as the taser, I, I think I have used my taser a handful of times. It's, like, 50% effective. I, like you look at the statistics, half the time it doesn't even work. So it's almost better to just right. grab onto a person and go hands on than it is to actually use that thing. So I that that's that is so idiotic. I really don't even want to give it any more time or credence for or even people to consider that as an option. No, it reminds me. I don't know if you've seen the movie Jojo Rabbit. So if you listen to this podcast, you can get a lot of movie references from me. So um, that was so stupid. Um, The movie Jojo Rabbit is an amazing movie about a kid growing up in um, Germany and he wants to, he idolizes Hitler. And Taika Waititi is the gentleman who wrote the movie, directed it, and stars in it as Hitler. And I was reading up on the movie on IMDb and he stated he did absolutely no research on Hitler because Hitler's a fuck and he doesn't deserve any of the research. So that's where Geraldo's going. Yeah, I can't believe they keep putting him on TV. Like I said, I thought he died out in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Once again, yeah, well, in the 80s, I watched him open up, um, the hell was Al Capone's vault, and there was nothing in it, but he got to shoot a Tommy gun like an idiot, and they told him, stand behind this line when firing this weapon, and then he just walked towards the wall as he was shooting the Tommy gun. So he's a boob. All right, let's move on from him. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Shut up! All right, so... um, (laughs) Last week uh, in Minnesota, like they don't have enough shit going on right now at the uh, Chauvin trial. Um, They had another shooting at Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, where Officer Kim Potter shot uh, Dante Wright as uh, he was resisting and jumped back in his car. So very unfortunate event. When I first saw the video, I thought, holy shit, that chick's got to have like three years on the job. No offense, Brandon, because I know your three years are much more intense (laughs) than my three years were. Um, 
But like you said, adrenaline dump, right? She um, she had an adrenaline dump and fine motor skills and everything reverts back to she felt she was under attack, uh, stress, and her main first reaction was to grab her handgun. Uh, they're, they're arguing that uh, she meant to murder this guy. And I'm watching the video. They've got three officers there. She's training one of them. And they have leave his door open on his car. He's right next to the door. Um, we, we should learn from other police officers' mistakes. And if I if and when I do make mistakes, I we always discuss it, right? What, what could have we done better? So to watch this whole incident unfold, see this arrest. They're taking him into custody. Um, why was he being arrested? Oh, yeah, he had a warrant for um, firearms uh, issue. So they leave the door open. He wrestles away, jumps in his car. Like you said earlier, what's in the car? We don't know. I honestly believe she made a mistake. She's yelling, as we're trained to do, taser, taser, taser. And then she realized immediately what happened. I keep seeing video of everyone saying that there's no way that she shouldn't be able to tell the difference between the weight of a handgun and the weight of a taser when they don't know what that adrenaline dump does to you and shuts off so many of your sensory perceptions. Yeah, I'm. so this one, I, this one pissed me off because no part of me thinks that she intentionally shot him. That I, I don't think that she grabbed her gun on purpose. I don't think she pulled, exactly. the, pulled the trigger thinking it was a gun. However, one thing that we do as law enforcement nationwide is we look at how other people have screwed up and then we fix it so that we don't screw up. So in California, we had one, this was a long time ago. It was actually at kind of like the, uh, I guess for out in Chicago, it'd be like the L train and New York, it'd be like the subway. We have something in the Bay Area called BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit. And it connects- the BART? Yeah, BART. So they actually made a movie about it called Fruitvale Station. Um, Haven't watched it, so I'm not going to talk about how accurate that was. But the basic premise is- they were so underfunded, understaffed, that they were sharing equipment, like tasers. And they were just throw it on their belt. There was no data behind, like, hey, where should you right. actually place this thing that has the same kind of grip as a gun? And he gets into some struggle with um, with a young black man, goes to tase him, accidentally pulls out his gun, fires one round into him, guy dies. I think he was actually convicted of manslaughter and, and sentenced to jail. And they actually right. want to like reopen his case and yeah, want to charge I him with murder that. now. So they actually made a movie about it called Fruitville Station. So industry standard, at least in California, is that your taser under no circumstances is on your dominant side. It is on your non-dominant side where either you draw it with your left hand or you have to cross draw it like I talked about earlier. Exactly. Now, for me, looking at that video, and I don't know that department. I don't know what they deal with on a day-to-day basis. I don't know what their standard operating procedures are. I don't know anything about them. In fact, I didn't even know that city existed until this happened. So having said that, I can't, with the training I've had, I can't fathom how you make that mistake. Because if you're right-handed like me, your gun is here versus having to come across to grab your taser if you have it on a cross draw like I do. I have to actually reach across my midsection and grab that. So I understand the fine motor skills go, but you should, from looking at that use of force, and granted I'm coming from a major city where we deal with a lot more violent crime than some smaller cities looking at that use of force it 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 wasn't that hairy or wasn't that intense um he it was a small tense up in in my opinion you should be able to especially a young officer who's in training like you're you're in the best shape of your life you don't you don't have years of midnights under your belt to eat 7-eleven food and and gain unnecessary weight You should be able to pin that guy up against a car if that's where you choose to do business. And I'm not going to break down their tactics because different strokes for different folks and we could be here all day. But that that one, I think it sucks. It's tragic that that guy died. And I've I've told suspects this, like, hey, it's not worth going to a hospital over. Whether it's for just bumps and bruises, scrapes, it doesn't matter. It's not worth – ending up in the hospital. If you think I'm treating you wrong, if you think I'm profiling you, I'm more than happy to give you my name and badge number. Hell, I'll even write down the number to IA and I dare you to call. I dare you. Tell them I mistreated you because this is all being recorded on my body cam. That's, I, I think it, yeah, th- this one sucks. I think that she should be charged. It just, if you look at the letter of the law, it, you can't, th- that can't happen. And I think I think you and I both know that as cops. And I think if you ask cops across the board, you would get that answer of it. That cannot 
happen. You cannot make that mistake. I like you can make plenty of mistakes. I make them every single day. That one you can't make. That's a big mess up. And it sucks for her because from all indications, she served for 26 years admirably. And it's this one mistake that's going to cost her everything. Yeah, unfortunately, um, all it takes right now is one mistake. And, you know, all these people that think um, that these officers who are involved in these shootings, even good shoots, right? Uh, The one with this kid the other night in Chicago, uh, there's video of the officer just sitting down on the ground completely just distraught over what he just had to do. We don't go to work and look for someone to shoot. Whatever the narrative is nationally, don't believe it. It's bullshit. We're not driving down the street looking for people to pick on and get into a gunfight with. That's not why we do this job. And I I feel bad for her. Like you said, 26 years um, doing an admirable job. And it's just one of those things that I don't know. I could be wrong. But with what's going on in the nation right now, I know a lot of guys, you we're not allowed to think too much when we're doing our jobs, right? Um, you have to trust in your training and your experience and your observations. But allow now when you people go, wait a minute, should I do this? Should I do that? You're opening up yourself to be harmed or to make mistakes. And that is a, a training issue. Uh, but with police departments being defunded uh, nationally, Training is going away. Our department has seen a lot less training over the years because we just don't have the money anymore. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. Um, thankfully, um, the mayor, who is quite left-leaning, um, he's got at least a, a brain in his head and can rationally think because when there were calls to defund us, um, he said straight up, it's a non-starter. Like, no, that's not going to happen. People don't, don't want to hear this. Good. But the answer is... You need to pump more money into these departments. And I'm all for earmarking it. Say, hey, we'll increase your budget by, say, a million dollars. But all one million of those dollars is going to go to training. It's going to go to jujitsu. It's going to go to some sort of de-escalation training. It's going to go to different tools that we can put in your tool belt to make you a more effective cop. And it's not going to be optional. It is mandatory. Do that. Like I, Most... Most guys I know will spend hundreds if not thousands of dollars a year to go to trainings. They will go on their time off. But when you're asking people as a whole to spend their hard-earned money and use their own time off that they could be spending with their family to go try to make themselves better for a job that doesn't care about them, for a community that is, will stand outside and call you every name in the book, it's really hard like for me personally to justify that. Like I'd rather save that money and take my kids on a trip and go spend it with them instead of you know going to you know some, whatever training I can get into. Yeah, we used to have an in-house training every year. We used to call it Eddie U. And Eddie is one of our lieutenants, our commanders now. So he was our training sergeant at the time. So Eddie U would consist of one full week of in-house training, and it was fantastic. But then, you know, our village monetarily situations changed, and uh, they just started, you got to cut something, right? So they're going to cut training because that's just simple. It's the easiest one to get rid of. Yeah, it really is, unfortunately. All right, so wanted to talk about the officers. Once a week when we do this, unfortunately, we will be discussing officers who were killed in the line of duty and passed the previous week. You mentioned the number so far for the year is almost at 100. So we're going to pick up from April since we're just starting this in April. And I just want to read these off quickly so they know these officers. April 2nd of this year, Capitol Police Officer, which everyone knows about, Billy Evans. He's an 18-year veteran. He was struck and killed by a vehicle whose driver was attempting to breach the barricade. Then the driver got out of the car and he attempted to uh, attack the other officers with a knife before he was shot and killed. April 3rd, Newton Grove, North Carolina officer, Brent Nelson Hall, 26 years old and a five-year veteran, suffered a medical emergency while driving his patrol vehicle and struck a utility pole at a high rate of speed. April 3rd, same day, hometown Illinois police, a 34-year veteran, Lieutenant James Kowski, 58 years old, was struck and killed by a vehicle while investigating a prior DUI crash. April 6th, Bibb County, Georgia Deputy Sheriff, a three-year veteran, Christopher Wilson Knight, 
30 years old, stabbed to death by a prisoner. April 9th, Iowa State Patrol, 27-year veteran Sergeant James K. Smith, 51 years old, shot and killed, entering her home to arrest a man who initially disarmed another officer on a traffic stop, then fled that scene to his home. And April 10th, Jefferson Davis County, Mississippi, Deputy Sheriff Thomas Patrick Barnes, 49 years old, killed in a vehicle crash while responding to a domestic disturbance. He also worked part-time for another police department at Prentice, Mississippi. You know, the ones that get you are the shootings, the stabbings, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. And, and the one that really pisses me off are car crashes. So many police officers die in car crashes a year. I got to keep reminding the, the young guys when we're training them. You know, everyone likes to drive a police car at 90 miles an hour. It's fun. But mm-hmm. if you get killed on the way to your call, you're not helping anybody. Yep. Same thing. You're no good to somebody crashed right. out on the side of the road. In fact, you're taking resources away from that. Right, because now they got to come and save you. All right. Let's get on to the woodworking part of our woodworking and law enforcement podcast. Um, what do you got on your bench? All right. So if you've, if you've hung around this long... I am currently working on a, uh, a challenge going yeah. flag for, for a buddy of mine. And then um, I'm going to be working on um, just a challenge coin rack for actually the first supervisor I ever had uh, in the Air Force. So I'm getting that all situated while simultaneously trying to learn how to use my laser to make it actually work for me and make me a little bit of money. And then uh, we're looking into... Getting into some online sales, whether that means Etsy or uh, starting our own website, so we don't have to pay Etsy a cut. Uh, that's that's everything that that we're working on right now out here. What about you, Mike? Yeah, I have uh, a number of flags, of course, on my bench. I have a coin flag that I'm doing for um, my buddy's friend. He wanted a special coin flag, a special size with an ambulance picture on it and some other stuff. So I actually had to incorporate another maker in the Instagram community to make me this logo on vinyl because my vinyl machine isn't big enough. I have a cricket. So I'm going to put this ambulance picture in the union. And then uh, I've got the flag stained and cut, but I didn't do the coin shelves yet. Sometimes I've done them with one piece of wood and sometimes I've added wood. Um, So this one, apparently I'm adding wood because I didn't cut them as one piece right now. And I'm doing a bear's flag for my daughter's boyfriend for his dad and i'm doing some work on the jumanji the uh, maker collab 2021 uh with uncle deli we're doing a jumanji themed uh movie prop so i got that going on and due this wednesday is a house engraving of a photo so a gentleman that uh, tinted the windows on my truck and i built him a flag at custom edge window tinting fred he uh asked me to make him an engraving of a picture of a home that he just sold to the new family so I've gone through four different engravings so far, and none of them have turned out well. So tonight will be the fifth and hopefully final engraving before I throw the whole thing in the wood pile and tell them I can't do it. <laughs> it you know what? And I've, I've seen that a lot with the guys that have uh, recently gotten CNCs, is that the learning curve on that thing is so incredibly steep. Like I, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm kind of glad I got the laser just because the uh, using the software Lightburn – it's really no different than uh, Cricut Design Space. Like a lot of the same tools apply. The only difference is I have to set a, uh, a speed for the laser to move oh, and nice. then a, a power in which to, to use it. So the learning curve on that is much more forgiving than, uh, than what it looks like the CNCs are. Yeah, I don't know if it's me or user error, but um, I did one of these engravings for a real estate friend and she gave it to the people that just bought their first home. And it was a one-off, right? I stained it. It was a eighth inch plywood. I took the picture in and a bitmap traced it and did all this stuff and I picked the right bit and engraved it. This one forever, it's got like 900 trees in the picture. (laughs) It totally screws up the entire thing. Um, I've tried three different bits. I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) So last night I stripped it all down. To, I had to draw the house manually, which probably doesn't look like the house now. I had to download some trees and bushes SVG files from Etsy and uh, incorporate them and put them where the other trees used to be. So um, that's what I'm going to do tonight because i got to get this done. We, we want to um, do a hero of the week, right, every week. Call out a police officer that did something good. And we just I just decided that we wanted to do this today. So I don't, I don't have one. I, I, I do have a police officer in Pittsburgh. That uh, Pittsburgh officer, Andre Wright, was challenged while he was on patrol to a foot race. 
There's a video on the Pittsburgh Police Department's Twitter feed, and you can see it where he just smokes this person uh, in a foot race, which was pretty funny. But it was a girl he was racing, so I don't really know if it counts. I, You know, I watched the video. It counts. She's got wheels. She was picking them up and putting them down. Okay, <laughs> good. All right, well, with, with that, uh, I think we'll close the first episode of the Handcuffs and Sawdust podcast. So uh, in closing, I'd like to ask people, if you have a story in law enforcement that you want Brandon and I and our other guests upcoming to speak about, you can email it to the handcuffs and sawdust podcast at gmail.com. All one word, handcuffs and sawdust podcast at gmail.com. Also, you can use that email address to just send us ideas for the show. Ask us questions that we can answer on the air during the show. Anything that you want us to cover woodworking or law enforcement wise law enforcement wise being my strength woodworking not so much i just happen to work with wood i'm not a woodworker uh, i, I play one Brandon. on i play one on instagram but uh i, I got a whole lot of try hard in me and a whole lot of whole lot TV. of time of hands on the hips yeah. going god i don't know what the hell i'm doing out here what am i doing <laughs> good i'm glad i'm not alone <laughs> All right, so um, if you're listening to this podcast and you like it, please uh, subscribe, download, uh, whatever you need to do in that in, in that way to make it a stronger podcast for us. We want to grow this thing with your help. So in closing, I'm going to say thank you to everyone that's tuned in so far, and I'll let Brandon do the same. Yeah, guys, thanks for tuning in. Even if you can't you know, rate, review it, or anything like that, tell somebody about it. Tell a copper about it. Tell somebody who maybe has a negative opinion of cops – just invite them in to have the conversation. Exactly. Use the email address. I'll we'll have the debate with you. We'll we'll give you the law enforcement side of it because there's a lot that people just don't understand about why we do what we do. So if we can kind of raise that curtain a little bit and make you go, oh, okay, I, I I still may not like it, but I, at least I get it now. Then you know that that's all we can hope for. And all you coppers out there, keep your heads up. Exactly. There's there's plenty of people that actually do still care about us they just don't stay shout it loud and wear your wear your damn seatbelt and watch your partner's back watch your back and get home safe every day guys that's right amen to that brandon thanks for saying that so stay safe everyone and we will talk to you next week